All right, well, good morning again. We are finishing up our series on heaven this week. Um, and if you've been here, you've heard some really cool stuff. We concluded that heaven is a real place, not just a state of mind, not an idea. It's a real place. Uh, we learned that heaven currently is with God. And so those who die in the Lord right now go to be with him immediately but that that is an intermediate heaven, that for eternity we will be on a new heaven and a new earth. So eternity will be physical, meaning we will eat, we will have new bodies, we will have flesh and blood, we will have jobs, it looks like, um, not ones that will be draining, but ones that will be fulfilling, all for God's glory. We'll be with God, we'll be with one another. We've seen some really cool things, uh, but today I want to ask, who cares? Right, right. so what? I mean, a lot of times we can study the Bible and get this knowledge and just walk out like, I know more. Why would we want to study this? Maybe you've heard it said, that person is so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. What about that? You know, we might think that. Well, why would we spend all this time studying heaven? We have to live right here. And what we're doing here is important. And I would say, absolutely. But the better we think about heaven, it will change the way we live here, the way we look here. Um, we, we saw a movie recently, maybe you've seen it, Free Guy. Um, in free, it's a weird movie, but it's like a video game. And uh, I'm not much of a gamer, but in this game, people like us can enter into the computer, and they enter into this game where they can rob banks and beat up pedestrians and bad stuff. But in the game, all of the users are you know, wearing glasses. But in the game, there's these non-player characters. So if you're a gamer, you know what that is. And it's just somebody in the game, a computer program, and one of them kind of comes to life and takes the glasses from somebody else and they put them on and he sees things that he never saw before, right? He sees bank heist. Uh, he sees on the ground a, a first aid kit. So when he's hurt, he just grabs that and bloop, he's all healed. I think that's a little bit similar to how heaven can change the way we live now. So I've got my heaven glasses. This is what they look like, by the way. Um, when you put on glasses, things don't laugh. These are cool. When you put on glasses, things look different, right? They look a little bit darker. Sometimes they change the color. They, they turn pink or yellow or whatever. The point is, glasses make you see things differently. And when we live with our heavenly glasses on, we will view this world differently. Not, I don't want to be here, I just want to be there. But rather, oh, I have perspective what's going on here, and I'm going to live differently in light of there. So if you see in your seat pocket in front of you or underneath, there are some glasses for you. And you can take those with you. Um, you know, this is the second service, so you might have to lean down one or whatever. Um, but we want you to take these. You know, last service, a lot of people were wearing them. I'm not sure if that was so they could sleep and I couldn't tell or what. Um, but this is just a reminder of, for us. Are we living with heaven in mind? Are we looking at the world through heavenly glasses? We're going to be in Colossians. So turn to Colossians. Colossians is a small book in the New Testament written by the Apostle Paul. Um, if you need to know where it is, it's right about there. Uh, feel free to use your table of contents. It is your friend. It's okay. Look it up. Um, but we are going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And if you're already there, you can just grab the glasses in front of you. Nice. No sleeping. <laughs> All right, Colossians 3, starting in verse 1, says this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. 
Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth, for you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It begins with if. It's kind of a weird way to to begin this passage, but if, that word could be translated since. And he's going to go on to talk about how we should live and do things. But first, since what? The if there is based on our identity. Since something about who you are. And he actually has three examples. Who you were in the past, present, and future. So look at this. Verse 1. If, if what? If you have been raised with Christ. That is, that is a deep theological truth about a person who has placed their faith in Jesus as Lord. If, since, not if you've been raised, but since you placed your faith in Jesus, you have been raised. That's what he's saying. This is a past tense, passive, like it happened to you. You didn't do this to yourself, right? When you place your faith in Jesus as Lord, he saves you. You have been raised. Since you've been raised, past tense, one time is the tense. This doesn't happen over and over. It happened to you. You have been raised. If you didn't know this, you are born separated from God because of your parents, because of their parents. I, I mean, go all the way back to Adam and Eve. We are born in sin apart from God. Now, we are born in God's image, meaning we have an idea of what's right and wrong. Uh, we have eternal value because of that, but we're born separated from God. And so we are dead, the Bible says, in our trespasses and sins. Now, if we surrender to Jesus as Lord, we believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead, then we are raised with Christ. We are given a new life. We are taken from death to life spiritually, which means eternally we will live spiritually. But it says our heart of stone is taken out and a heart of flesh is put in. Something happens. So past tense, you have been raised with Christ. Now present tense, uh, verse 3. For you have died... And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Present tense. Right now, if you have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, you believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, you believe that for your sins, and I I place my faith in him, your life is currently hidden with Christ. There is a unique unity you have with God through Jesus. You're not just a sinner saved by grace. Maybe you've heard that. And when people say that, oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, what they mean often is a good thing, right? That, that I'm not better than anybody else. And there's some humility in, in that. But there's also some things that are not totally true in that. Because the Bible never calls a saved person a sinner. It always calls them a saint in the New Testament. And so something happens to you. There's no pride on your part, right? Because this happened to you. It's by faith alone, not by works. But your life is then hidden with Christ. We are united with Jesus in a really unique and special way. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Behold, the old things have passed away, the new things have come. So that's who we are, your identity. You were raised with Christ, now your life is hidden with Christ. Now future, look back, verse 4. When Christ, who BT dubs is your life, um, that's the literal Greek. When Christ, who is your life, appears, when is that? We've been looking at this in our Heaven series. This is when Jesus returns. So when Jesus returns at the end of this age, not the end of time, by the way, at at the end of this age, when he returns, something happens. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Future identity. 
You will come with him in glory. If you die, anybody who has died in Christ comes with him, gets a new body, a glorified body, sinless, but still physical. Those on this earth, when Jesus returns, they get a new body right then without dying. I hope that happens um, to me. It's going to happen. But he, we get a new body, meaning we will be glorified. Sin is removed. Every evidence of the curse is removed, and we are glorified. So past tense, present tense, future tense, this is all about your identity, who you are in Christ. Because that's true, fact, sealed, done, now what? Verse 1, because this is true, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because this is true, seek. This is active. This is a command. You do this ongoing. Seek the things that are above, where God is, where Jesus is at the right hand. Where is Jesus right now? He's in heaven. By the way, he's in his new body. Jesus was human, is human, raised to life in a new body, and that body is right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Where is that? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this is one of those mysteries we don't know. But he is with God now. He's saying, set our minds on heavenly things. Seek heavenly things. And then verse 2, set your minds on things that are above. Set your minds on heavenly things. Now, when we think mind, a lot of times we think brain, we think intellect. This is more than that. This word includes the intellect, but also more of the heart, meaning your whole being, your emotions, your thinking, all of this, set it on heavenly things. Set it on God. Now, it says not on the things that are on this earth. Does that mean we don't think about things on this earth? Absolutely not. But it means our minds aren't set here. We look at these things around us with right perspective. When our mind is set on Christ, then we look around and things look different because our hearts, our minds are set on things above and we are seeking the things above. Since your identity in Jesus is secure, therefore, we live differently. You know, we are in a time of, of high intensity, right? A lot of things to worry about, a lot of things to get angry about, a lot of things uh, trying to divide us. And what's one of the biggest ones right now? vaccine and masks. I read an article this week that, that really was a little bit convicting. So you've got, he was writing about this whole vaccine and masks. You've got one side. Oh, the vaccine is going to save everybody's life and you're stupid if you don't take it. How come nobody's taking it? Blah, blah, blah. You know, there's that side. And then there's the other side. Oh, the vaccine is the mark of the beast, which by the way, it's not. It can't be biblically. Um, but there's the other side. There's really good reasons not to take it. And how could somebody push it on us and try and make us right? And you probably heard one of those and went, yeah, I agree with that, and got a little bit raised up. Well, this person writing about vaccine masks says this, I wish that the church approached the issues of salvation and sanctification with the same fervor. Can you imagine the effect on our neighborhoods if we focused our passionate feelings about masks and vaccines toward the unsaved and those not growing in their Christ-likeness? That's really convicting, me, and I'm not standing up here saying, I've got this figured out, you people. This is convicting to me because there's things that are happening, whatever, that make me angry. But do I look at the fact that 95% of our community does not know Jesus and it's going to end up in hell? Does that make me angry? It should. And not angry against, but like fired up. We should get passionate about that. That was very convicting. And I think when we put these glasses on, we will see these things differently. So look at this Colossians passage. And we're going we're gonna to look at five ways, 
five ways that uh, this should impact our life today. Five ways that thinking about heaven changes the way we live now. Now, there's a lot more than five, right? This is not an exhaustive list, but we had to narrow it down, so here's five. And here's the first one. The reality of heaven gives us hope in times of trouble. Ever had trouble? (laughs) Ever had relational trouble? Ever had financial trouble? <laughs> Hands going, right? We have ever had trouble with sin in your own life? I mean, we have trouble. And so thinking about heaven gives us hope in times of trouble. At first Peter, Peter writes this. He says, "After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. A couple things, look at that. He doesn't say, if you suffer. He doesn't say, you know, some of you are going to suffer. He says, after you have suffered, meaning you're going to suffer. You're human, you're in this life, you're going to suffer. It's going to happen. And after that, after you suffered for a little while, come on, what's this guy thinking? A little while? Don't you know my life, Peter? <laughs> it's not a little while. I got to deal with this and then this, and it, it goes on and on. And, well, Peter, by the way, this guy, He ends up being crucified upside down, giving his life for Christ. He knew suffering. This guy was beaten for his faith in Jesus, and he walks away, like, pumping his fist. Like, thank you, Lord, that I was worthy to suffer for you. That's this guy. And and he says, for a little while, the God of all grace, he himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The Bible's clear. We're going to suffer. But we can have hope. He's talking in that verse about eternity. And then he says in 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happened to you. When life happens, you're like, oh, I can't believe I'm suffering. Oh, Jesus must hate me. Where is God? He's like, why are you surprised? You're a human. Jesus suffered. Look how he suffered. And he was God in flesh. You think you're going to be beyond that? If Jesus suffered, you're going to suffer. And so... Don't be surprised. He's saying, expect it. And then when it happens, put on your glasses and view that suffering with eternal perspective. Doesn't mean it won't still hurt. It's not just a pretend like, but we see it with perspective that it's only for a little while. That it's only for a little while. In Revelation 21, it says, he will wipe away every tear. It's hard to believe this was written 2,000 years ago. We have all this stuff going on right now, but if we can view it as just for a little while, the point is all suffering is for just a season. You've had this. You've had financial trouble for a season. You've had relational trouble for a season, but typically it passes, you get through it, moves. All of life is really just a season when we look at it in perspective. Romans 8.18, Paul says, I consider that the suffering of this present time the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in us. That's perspective. That's how we can have hope in trouble because we view heaven and then we view our sufferings and we go, no comparison, right? Suffering here, eternal glory forever with God here where all evidence of the curse is gone, no comparison. Therefore, I can make it through here. We had this uh, illustration one of our first weeks, but it's so good we have to use it again. I stole this from Francis Chan, by the way. This is not my creation. Uh, In college, Francis Chan came to chapel and and gave us this example. But this is like eternity. 
right? Do you know that eternity is long? I mean, like forever. So this is kind of a picture. Heads up down the aisle there. That did not work at all. (laughs) Somebody else tied my rope for me saying that was going to work better after the first. Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, look at this. Really long. Now, if we were going to be accurate, this would go around the world several times and then never stop because eternity is truly forever. But this gives us a little bit of a picture. Eternity. New heaven, new earth. Forever. There it goes. There it goes. Forever. And earth. This earth. We can argue it's about like this, right? Just this little bit of time compared to eternity. But then your life and my life in comparison to all of earth, what would we say? This is just a little bloop, right? It's tiny. It's tiny. And so when we suffer in this little bloop, we can look at this and have hope. We can look at what God has promised and have security and confidence. Don't trip over that. So that's number one. Number two, the reality of heaven gives us strength in times of temptation. Look over at this Colossians passage in verse 5. Again, because of your new identity in Christ, past, present, and future, because of that, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, right? No room for for pride for any of us. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We should have strength in the midst of temptation. Because as we view heaven, the reality of heaven, it reminds me of who I am. Meaning these temptations arise, that's not who I am anymore. I am eternally secure in Jesus. That's who I am. I am one of his children. And so I'm going to live differently. It reminds me who I am. You know, we see here, you know, that my life is hidden in God, right? Present, I'm already there. This is who I am now. We are saved how to walk in a newness of life. We celebrate this when we do baptisms. In baptism, uh, by the way, baptism is the first thing any believer is told to do. Uh, Baptism doesn't save you, but is your first evidence that Jesus is Lord because you do it in obedience. But when we baptize, we dunk somebody, we say died in Christ, and it's just a symbol of what is real spiritually. Buried with Christ, we put them under the water. Some of you have to hold under longer. Um, raised to walk in newness of life. You can't skip over that last part. Raised to walk in newness of life. We are united in Christ so that he can live in and through us and it will look differently. And so temptation looks differently. When we realize by faith that we are dead to sin, we experience the freedom of knowing we can find no life in that temptation. So so here's this picture, right? We have these temptations. There's all kinds of things out there teasing us, you know, tempting us to sin, drawing us away from God. And we look at them and they look, well, that looks good. Ooh, I, I, want, I want that, right? Whatever it is. You know, he goes through the list. Could be lying to get you something, sexual temptation, whatever it is, all this stuff here. But then when we put our glasses on and we look at that, we realize, oh, that's, that's like dog food. 
You know, it, it's the dog food in the can that you open it and you, you it's like, right? And it starts to ooze a little bit. So that temptation, oh, it looks really good. And then you're like, oh, I see. When in reality, then you look at the contrast, the other side, what God would have us do. And it's like a nice filet steak, really thick, medium rare. I mean, perfectly done. And, and you put your heavenly glasses on. You're like, temptation is dog food. Going God's way is going to provide all of this. Duh, right? We, we win because God wins. We see the truth when we have our eternal glasses on. And so we can have victory in temptation. Romans 6, 10 and 11 says, For the death he died to sin. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. Again, because that's true, we're united with him, because that's true, so you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That word consider, that's actually an accounting term. Uh, Some of your translations use reckon. It's a math thing. Consider yourself dead to sin, meaning do the math, add it up. Okay, Jesus died on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead. When I, by faith, accept him as Lord, I am united with him. Okay, do the math. He's alive in me. He lives through me. Now, do the math. I'm dead to sin. So that's what he's saying. Consider yourself dead to sin because in these bodies, we can still sin. We can. A believer absolutely can still struggle with sin in this life. But when we do the math and we go, but that's not who I am. That's not going to fulfill me anymore. So he says, consider yourself, consider what's actually true about you and then live that way. I mean, that's our our mission statement over here, connecting people to the abundant life, only possible through an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. That abundant life is not found by believing in Jesus and then doing whatever you want. That abundant life is found in abiding in him, meaning walking with him daily. And that abundant life doesn't mean, you know, health, wealth, prosperity. We say this all the time. But love, joy, peace, despite circumstances. Three. The reality of heaven gives us perspective in terms of stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is simply managing what belongs to somebody else. And so we know the truth, biblically, that God owns everything, right? He owns all our money. He owns us. He owns our kids. He owns our talents, right? Some of you think you're pretty good at stuff, and you are, but guess who gave you that ability? Are you smart? Guess who made you smart? Are you a hard worker? Guess who made you a hard worker? God gets the glory for those things. Those things belong to him as well. And so we are stewards. Some of what God owns, some of what belongs to him, he has entrusted to us for a little while. And so when we put on our heavenly glasses, we view our time, our talents, and our treasure differently. We view it as if this is God's and I'm now managing it. It's different. Our time is different. Our money is different because are we going to store it up for, oh, we need it, we need it, we need it. Or we realize, wait a minute, life is short. Bloop. (laughs) Eternity is really, really long. Because the way I steward what he's entrusted to me impacts my quality of life in heaven. Wait, time out. Did that guy just say heaven won't be equal for everyone? Yeah, (laughs) that's what the Bible teaches. There are rewards in heaven. 
right? We will not be judged for sin, but we will be judged for our actions in this life. And the rewards appear to be different in heaven. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We can't take our treasure with us, but we can send it on ahead. It's like an investment in eternity. Randy Alcorn says this, says, we will reap in eternity what we planted in this life. Now, honestly, and we've talked about this in our group, this is a little bit of a struggle. But I think everybody in heaven is going to be glad to be there. And it's going to be great for everyone. Again, every tear is wiped. There is no pain. But there are greater rewards there for greater sacrifice and service here. You know, 1 Peter instructs us. He, he talks about the rich in 1 Timothy 6. He says, instruct those who are rich. Time out. Did you just think those people, those other rich people? Well, here's the truth. If you live in this country, you're rich. If, you, if your household makes the average uh, of this area, which is about $50,000 a year, so if your household makes $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of all the world, meaning we're rich. So just so you know, he's writing to us. Instruct those who are rich in this present world to not be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy, ready to share, storing up for themselves in the future and take hold of life indeed. Notice some things. Those who are rich, all of us, what are we to do? Not to be conceited, not to put our hope in our riches, but on God. Look at this, though. Who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. You realize the things that he gives us, or gives, he gives us to enjoy? The Bible never says, don't be rich. He says being rich is, can be difficult because then you're self-sufficient. You don't feel like you need God. But rather, we can enjoy the things in this life and, and pass that gratitude on to God. We can thank him for the great things he's made and enjoy them and share them. Ready to share that stewardship, generosity. And when we do that, when we share, we are storing up treasures in heaven for the future. Riches in life, this life, are uncertain. They can be lost. But heaven is certain. Chip Ingram writes this in his book. Heaven will be wonderful for everyone, but it will not be equal. What you do in this life will have a direct impact on the quality of your life in heaven. You know, this rope illustration is perfect for that. That little blip that is your life will have an impact on eternity, even for us believers. So number four, the reality of heaven gives us unity as the family of God. The reality of heaven gives us unity as the family of God. Have you ever experienced conflict with fellow believers? Why is it that, that we Christians love our pet theologies? We love our secondary issues and they divide us. You know, whether it be uh, eschatology, the view of the end times, uh, rapture, uh, tribulation, millennium, those things divide churches. H how about things like masks and vaccines? right? We're so divided, all these secondary things. Now, there's central things we need to stand on. Salvation is found in Jesus alone, right? 
We're called to live a new life. I mean, there's some central things we have to stand on. And in everything else, grace. In everything else, grace. Because 1 Peter 4, 7 through 10, Peter writes this. The end of all things is near. You know, all these, they keep talking about something's coming. Judgment, is, the end is near. They're looking at, the, at heaven. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Above all, meaning here's the first thing that you should focus on. Keep fervent in your love for one another. Meaning, unity among diversity. Again, we need to agree on some things. Salvation in Jesus alone. We need to agree on there is a real heaven and a real hell. But there's a lot of these secondary things that we can have grace with people who view it differently. We really look forward, as Common Ground grows, to have different secondary opinions. A lot of times churches really become limited because they take these hard stands on secondary, thirdary issues. We don't want to do that. We want unity among diversity. So if you have some weird things that are secondary, welcome. Be here, and let's have unity in love. Number five, last one. The reality of heaven gives us an urgency to share Jesus with others. Urgency. Hebrews 9, 27. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, once. We have one chance, and it's in this life. After death, there is no second chance. There is no Jesus appearing to somebody right after death going, hey, by the way, it's me. Oh, I believe... This life is our last chance. Now, is there deathbed experience? Absolutely. But in this life, this is our last chance because after death, it says here, comes the judgment. Every person will spend eternity somewhere. Annihilation, not biblical. There is either heaven or there is hell apart from God and his people. 1 John 5, 12. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. This should fire us up. When we look at our community and know that 95 out of 100 people don't know Jesus, that should fire us up. This is why we do things like trunk or treat. You know, I said this in the announcements. We do trunk or treat so that people will walk through and go, this is a church? And they might then ask questions. Or they might come on a Sunday to go, that's a place maybe I can go. You know, there's a lot of churches in town. There's good churches in town. There's good churches that are traditional, that sing hymns. All these other things, that's good. We want to be a little different because we want those who maybe are, have been wounded by church or uncomfortable with church, guess what, I get it. We want them to walk in here and go, I could do this. This is a little bit different. Again, all those tradition things, they're not bad. It's just not what God has called us to do because we are desperate to see that 95% change. We are desperate to see God move in a unique way. And this idea of heaven should inspire us to share our faith. You know, we all know people in our past, people who have died who we don't know where they stood with God. And we can have hope that maybe there was some kind of a deathbed experience, but, but for a lot of, we can't know for sure. But here's what we can know. In the future, none of my loved ones are going to go without actually hearing the good news. That's something we can do. Do you want your friends and family to be in heaven with you? Then invite them. Then, then just tell them. Right? How many people are just waiting to hear, waiting for the invitation so they will say yes? That's the one thing we can do. We can't save anybody. God does the heavy lifting there. The Holy Spirit does the real work of saving. But he uses his people. He uses us. And so as we wrap up, 
My first question is, are you going to heaven? Have you placed your faith in Jesus as Lord? Is your identity what we see here in Colossians? Are you hidden with Christ? If not, let today be the day of salvation. I'm going to be standing in the back right here. Come and talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. For the rest of us, is there anything that needs to change? As we look at these five things, did one of those or two of those kind of resonate with you? Like, oh, yeah, I need to make some adjustments. We're going to take the Lord's Supper, and I would say just spend a minute praying. You know, we're going to start to sing. We have a communion here, there, and there. This is a time for us to remember what Jesus did, that he died on the cross and rose from the dead. We do this until he comes back. So take a minute, ask God to show you anything he wants to do in your life. And then come, take the Lord's Supper. Now, feel free to pray with those you came with, whatever that looks like for you. But in gratefulness, thank him for what he's done. Look forward to him coming back and let's celebrate what he has done. And just a reminder, communion is for believers. So do not take, if you have not said, no, I'm all in with Jesus. If you've not given your life to him, don't partake. That's okay. Nobody's looking at you. Nobody's judging. But if you would like to surrender to Jesus, come talk to me, and then you can take communion for the first time as a believer. Father in heaven, thank you. Uh, thank you for our, our identity. As we see in Colossians there, you, you give us so much clarity in who we are, that we are saved, we are united with you, we are completely forgiven, we are adopted, we have confidence in eternity, and eternity is going to be a really long time, and it's going to be great. Although it might not be equal for everyone, it's going to be great for everyone. We thank you that these truths are clear in Scripture. God, I pray that we would be your people. God, that we really would live with our heavenly glasses on. That we would view the world differently and that we wouldn't be so heavenly minded we're no earthly good. But we'd be so heavenly minded we are so earthly useful. That we enter into the pain around us. We enter in and give hope and share faith with those who need it. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.